Welcome once again to Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. My name is Eric Metz, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about, in my opinion, one of the most underrated Disney animated movies of all time. This I'm talking about the 1997 Hercules. Now, I was inspired to talk about this because with the casting news of the live-action Lion King that came out, it started to get me think about some of the Disney classics, um, In well, classics in, in my case, um, because, you know, I'm only 30 years old, so a lot of these are still kind of classics to me. Um, Hercules, not so much as a classic, but it's starting to get up there for me. But The Lion King is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time, and I was originally going to do the podcast about, about The Lion King, but then I thought, you know what, Lion King is a big movie, everybody knows about it, they've already heard all the stories, they've already heard all the backstories, they've already heard all the fun stuff, and there's probably going to be other podcasts that talk, talk about the original Lion King. So I thought about talking about a Disney film that uh, I think not a lot of people give it the respect it deserves. Not a lot of people may not have known, may, maybe not a lot of people have seen, but it is one of my favorite Disney animated movies. Again, that's the 1997 Hercules. Now, this came out, and uh, it came out to pretty good uh, critical response, actually. It uh, got an average score of uh, 7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes currently has it as at 83% fresh. Now, the difference between this and a lot of other ones is this movie was made for $85 million, which is a solid budget for an animated film, even in 1997, solid budget for any film, really, at that point. Um, I mean, just two years, I think it was just two years later, The Matrix was made for less, I think, than $85 million. I think The Matrix was made for less than what this ma- this uh, was made for. So fun little comparison there, there for you. Now, unfortunately... Now, I say unfortunately, but it only grossed $252 million worldwide. Now, it made its money. It made a lot of its money back. You're probably looking at about another $40 million for... I would I would estimate that this movie probably gained about $100 million, if not a little bit more. Because with a Disney film, the marketing was probably pretty big. I would say the marketing might have been around, at that time, maybe 30 to $40 million dollars. I would say this entire movie probably cost about $120 million to make with marketing and production budgets and everything. That's just a guess. I've got no data. I've got nothing for that. I'm just going based off of how big the marketing was in 1997, knowing that it's a Disney film and they're going to want to market this like crazy. Um, so I would probably put it at about $120 million estimate. Again, just a straight estimate. So $252 million still made quite a bit of money. But when you're talking about Disney movies and you're talking about um, the directors who've done some great Disney movies, um, 252 million is not a lot. I mean, just a few years, just not too long before that, Lion King, I mean, now it's grossed almost a billion dollars, but you're talking about Lion King probably was somewhere up um, easily in the seven to 800 million dollars. So just completely dwarfed just completely dwarfed what this movie made. Um, now, it was also coming out at around a different time, but clearly $252 million was considered um, not a bomb, because it, was, it wasn't a bomb, it was a, it was a fail. It was an under underperformer. That's the better word to use. At $252 million, it was an underperformer. And I think this movie 
is going to age a lot better than what people think. Uh, because of the characters, because, because, because of the story, I think this is a movie that uh, once people see more often and they know more often, I think they're going to like it a lot better. Now, this movie was, from the, was uh, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, who were kings of the late 80s, early 90s. They directed The Great Mouse Detective, another quiet but fantastic Disney movie. And then they went on to do, guess what? The Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Like, come on. You're talking about two of probably Disney's biggest movies of all time. Little Mermaid and Aladdin. They also did Treasure Planet, which is another, in my opinion, underrated Disney movie. I think the visuals in that, the story in that, I think the retelling of a kind of pirate movie, but told in space with a lot of tech. I think it's a great idea, really interesting and fun idea. I think Treasure Planet is a lot better movie than what people say. They also did Princess and the Frog, and they also did Moana. So even after all these years, I mean, you're looking at 20 years between Hercules and Moana. Well, not 20 years, 19 years, but um, so long, and they still are able to pump out great movies like like Moana. And And the interesting fact... When you look between a lot of these, when you look between Princess and the Frog, Moana, and Hercules, one thing that I notice is they have a strong female lead, a female lead that doesn't necessarily need need love. Um, they're able to do it on their own. The story isn't about them falling in love. Them falling in love is a side plot um, in some of these films, more so Princess and more more so Princess and the Frog, and then Moana, Moana doesn't really doesn't even have a rom- romantic lead. It's just uh, a female character trying to find herself in this world, trying to understand where her place is. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Meg, character from this later on. But one thing I can see is they do strong female characters. Even Jasmine in a, in Aladdin, I think. Is, is a fairly strong female character be, compared to some of the um, female characters, out, the female princesses out there. I think she's still a, a little bit. Um, and we're not going to talk about Ariel from Little Mermaid because in my opinion, she's she's a little, I mean, she's young. She's very young, I think, compared to some of the other Disney, Disney princesses. I think she's one of the youngest if you're going through the timeline. So she makes a lot of weird choices, a lot of, things that maybe a more adult female wouldn't make. But I'm not going to get into talking about female characters because I'm a male and uh, I don't know a lot about f- females. So we're going to jump next to, before we get, get, get into the cast again, I want to talk about the composer of this, Alan Menken. Now this is a composer, we all know who John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, we all know who they are. We all know who are some of the big composers, but... Alan Menken, if you go through the list of music, he scored and composed prob- some of the music of my generation's childhood. I mean, when you talk about movies that my gen- gen- generation grew up on, you're talking about Aladdin, Little Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas. Like, you're talking about some of the biggest Disney movies of my generation. Yes, you can go back to... Pinocchio, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, 
Those are great films, but those are another generation sort of childhood films. These movies, again, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, these are um, Hercules for me. These are the Disney childhood films of my generation, the ones that I grew up on. Um, and the fact that this guy did all those is incredible. I mean, I have a playlist on my on, on, on my phone of just Disney music, and a ton of music are from these specific films. And um, more people should know them. And the interesting fact is, with the sudden resurgence of live-action versions, Alan Menken is coming back and composing a lot of these newer versions. So he did the music for um, the new Beauty and the Beast, which I think the song Evermore is a fantastic song. I think Evermore is a great song. I actually love just kind of singing it. I, w- I wouldn't mind doing a karaoke version of it. Um, he's going to do the, the Aladdin when it comes out, and he's also going to be doing the Little mermaid when it comes out as well so it's very interesting that this guy is such uh, a big composer when it comes to my my childhood but he's not up there he also has won eight oscars like eight oscars is is pretty big a couple other later ones that he did that uh, may not have been in my area but um he ironically did the music for sausage Party, which is a very, very big departure from what he what he's known as um, with these Disney movies. So it's a bit of a departure, but I actually really like uh, Sausage Party. Um, he did the score for The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, obviously Hercules. Um, he did Enchant- he did Enchanted, Enchanted, and Tangled. And um, he's done a few other things here. There, he did the he did the, he did the music for the Broadway musical of uh, Newsies, which Newsies is one of my favorite musicals. Um, so the fact that he has a connection to that, and that was only done this year uh, in the new revi- in the new revival of Newsies, was done this year. So it's interesting that uh, you know this guy has such a big importance in the term of music, and I'm a huge music fan in movies. He's got such a big importance. And he's not as well as well known, but again, he's won eight Oscars. Fantastic guy. Now, getting into the cast list, the the adult version of Hercules was voiced by Tate Donovan. Now, this guy is a character actor that, unlike some of the other names, you're not going to probably know who he is unless you're a big fan of Tate Donovan or a big fan of uh, movies. I wasn't sure of his name as well until I saw his face, and I was like, yes. I recognize him from a ton of things. He's been doing that. He's been doing movies for uh, decades. He's been in. He hasn't really led a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. He's done a lot of voice acting as well. He is one of the uh, actors in Argo as well. So for some of the new newer fans, he's there. But if you see his face, you'll 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 immediately say yes. I know who he is. Great actor. Um, doesn't overdo it. But I remember seeing him a ton of stuff. Then you get into some of the bigger names like Danny De- Danny DeVito, who plays Phil, uh, James Woods, who plays Hades. Now, I want to talk about this after I, m- I mention the names, uh, especially about James Woods. Uh, then you have Susan Egan as Meg. A lot of people don't know her, her name, but she was actually in the Broadway musical of Beauty and the Beast. And for the Studio Ghibli fans, 
She's done a voice in a few of their movies as well. I recently was able to see Spirited Away in theaters. Amazing. And one of the characters, Lynn, is voiced by Susan Egan as well. So she's done a lot of work with uh, Disney. Um, So you should know her name. Uh, She's also done a lot of live action stuff too. I think she was in 13 going on 30 as well. Um, So she's done a lot of things like that. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Actually, I might not. Bobcat Goldthwait is uh, Payne. A lot of people know him. He's a stand-up comedian. Very funny. Very, very unique voice. Um, So you shouldn't know know his name. Matt Furrer. A lot of people don't know his name, I don't think. But he was the fishing neighbor in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, The really tall, tall, lanky neighbor. I actually, surprisingly, I love that movie. But I actually surprisingly know him more from Max Hedrum. Now, Max Hedrum is before my time, but I do remember, but I remember the videos, I remember the face, I remember his glitchy face and his squared off, um, basically everything to do, do with his head. So anytime I see him, first thing I see is Max Hedrum, which is a little funny and strange. Um, and then also Rip Torn by Zeus is uh, the voice of Zeus. Now, there's a lot of other actors and actresses that you should know, a lot of them you will know. But going over the cast list, I noticed that this movie shows a lot of respect to a lot of actors from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Like when you go go through the, the list and you see so some of the names, you see like Hal Holbrook and Charlton Heston and um, some of the classic names from some of the actors and actresses of before, it's nice to see that, that years after they've, they, they've stopped becoming huge in the movie industry they're still able to to provide voices and one of the best things about this movie is the supporting cast is the supporting characters that's one of the best parts of this of this movie movie is the is the ensemble cast everybody else kind of working together um and i think that's great and you also get paul paul Shear as well in a small voice he's he was the uh um lead musician or the band leader for um david the uh, late show or the late show with David Letterman or the Tonight Show I forgot. Um, so you get a lot of you get a lot of interesting names way when you go through the list. I, I advise you to ch- check it out. You get some really cool names. A lot of former Oscar nominated actors and actresses as well. So it's really interesting to see some of the names. Now the story of the movie. Actually, before I get into the story of the movie, I, m- I mentioned this this before. One thing I wanted to talk about: James Woods. One thing I want to mention on this on this podcast is I am able to separate um, the artist from the art. I understand that James Woods has been saying some gnarly stuff, some horrible stuff uh, these past few few years, few, few months, uh, especially the stuff with Amber Tamblin. Do I support? What he's saying, of course not, 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 not at all, but I am able to separate the art from the artist because I think that there's a lot of movies out there. And one of the things that a friend of mine wanted to do was he wanted to talk about um, Rosemary's Baby, baby um, directed by Roman Plansky, who's another figure. Um, now, I don't want to hold back movies that I love and I like I don't want to hold back because of the people that are um, talking about the things that they they talk about. This is a movie podcast. It's not a political podcast. I'm going to talk about films. If you want to ask me what I think about the actors or 
actresses outside of the pod- podcast, you can hit me up at Mets at the Movies on Twitter, um, and I'd be I'd be happy to discuss. I I would love to discuss discuss the state state of the world. But this is a movie pod- podcast, and we're going to be talking about the movies, not the not outs not nothing to do with outside of the film. I just wanted to state that real quick going forward forward. Now the story of the m- movie doesn't doesn't follow the story of her, her, her Hercules. Um, the main story that that people know of and it got, and there's some people out there that give it criticism for that and my opinion to that is one it's a D- Disney movie. A lot of their movies take liberties with the source material because the source material for a lot of these stories um, is dark. It's pretty dark. I mean, the original stories of of Hercules is his father cheated on um, Hera, his wife, and had um, Hercules with a human wife. And then Hercules, basically, his his one of his villains is Hera. Now, for kids, that's a little dark. Uh, Adults are able to are able to understand that a little bit more, but stuff like that you learn in school. I think I think these Disney films are great for introduction into. Hey, that Hercules movie was really fun. I really liked it. Let me go read more about what really happened. And I and I think that's what's great about some of these Disney films that talk about historical historical figures. Now, in this story, though, um, Hercules at night is kidnapped by as a baby by some of the minions of Hades uh, because. He knows that uh, Hades will, or he knows that Her- Her- Hercules will come up. He hears from 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 the fates that Hercules will rise up and and end up destroying Hades. So what he tries to do is he tries to kidnap Hercules and turn him into a a human because that's the only way he can he 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 can be killed. Is he turned him into a human? The problem is he didn't drink the entire vial. So where he's not a god a- anymore, he still has godlike strength and speed. And that's kind of where a lot of the fun comes in, into this. Now, we realize that, unfortunately, because he's no longer a god, he can't live in, um, he can't live with Zeus and the other gods. So what he has to do is he has to go, go through his life and learn uh, what it means to be a true hero to regain his godlike ability. And that's essentially the story of the movie. Now, periodically, as he goes up, he has to learn that brute strength and muscles and um, admiration isn't what make a true hero. He ends up finding out that self-sacrifice is um, kind of what makes a true hero. Now, I read something on online where, but wait a minute, when he was fighting the Hydra and he smashed the cliff to kill... Um, the to bury the hydra in all the rocks because he realized he couldn't just keep cutting off his head or else he'd grow more heads wasn't that self-sacrifice since since he was there and yes to a point it is but i look at it like he was he was fighting the hydra um the hydra and the sacrificing himself for Meg later on are kind of, are somewhat in I look at it at two to two different scenes. So the Hydra scene in the Hydra scene, he knew that he had to fight the Hydra. It was it was a clear motive. Hydra was bad, 
Hercules was good. We need to stop the bad guy from causing more harm to more more people. So he had a kind of duty. So it's almost like his job was to destroy the Hydra one way or another. And when you go into your work, just by doing your job, a lot of times you don't get extra credit. You don't get merit. You don't get kind of like, oh, you don't get a bonus for just doing what your job is. Whereas when he says, says when he saves Meg, he doesn't have to save Meg. He, he doesn't ha- 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 have to. It's not like it's going to, by not say saving Meg, it's going to hurt the lives of villagers, of town, 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 townspeople, of, of um, just other people living in the world. Whereas the Hydra was, if he wasn't able to stop the Hydra, Hydra would have continued to cause mayhem and, and harm. Whereas with Meg... He said, you know what, it's almost like he doesn't have to do this, but he's going to do it anyways because of love. And that's where I see the difference. It's, it is a slight difference of it, but when you're trying to criticize um, one, one scene compared to the other, that's how I see it. Also, again, it's a Disney movie that was kind of made, made mainly for kids um, and ones that adult, adults can uh, enjoy. But that's kind of where I see the difference is one in, in one aspect, he was doing his job of being a, a hero and saving the town, townspeople, whereas the other one, he was kind of going above, above and beyond and just saving one person. And that's kind of where I, where I see the difference. Now, some of the reasons why I love this film is, one, it's a Disney film and I'm a Disney freak. A lot of stuff they put out, I'm, I'm sold, I'm there for, I dig. Uh, more Disney over... Pixar. Pixar has a lot of great, great films, but I'm more connected to a lot of the animated Disney films, the hand-drawn Disney films, compared to a lot of the newer Pixar films. Uh, I mean, I'm one of the guys who loves the um, Aladdin sequels, both of them. I own them on Blu-ray, and when I bought them, I had a lot of friends not even say, hey, why would you buy those? They weren't that good. Their opinion was, I didn't even know there was Aladdin sequels. Not a lot of people do. And they're actually pretty good, especially when you look at D- Disney sequels that there's a lot that aren't that good. These two are actually really good. Another thing is the music. The music in this, I think a lot of people talk, talk about music from other films. I think the music is great. I think Go 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 the Distance is a fantastic track. The build-up, the emotion, um the instruments used, the oompa feeling it has, I think is a great song. Other notable songs, Zero to Hero, Won't Say I'm in Love, great, great music. Uh, Visuals, I think the visuals are beautiful. I think they use a lot, they use a lot more color. They use a larger color palette than you would see in some other Disney films. I think the color palette in this is great. And also when you look at that Hydra scene, you can see early digital... um, animation mixed in with with hand-drawn and it's almost like they took what they saw toy story do two years prior to this and said okay we're gonna we're gonna test it we're gonna try it in this scene and see how well it goes and it works really well um as i said earlier i love the supporting cast i love the supporting care characters in this um hades hades henchman um Pain and Panic, I think, are funny. They work well together. The gods in Olympus, a lot of them are great, funny. They're they're very individual, 
and you can tell and you can tell they're individual. It's not just like a slate of gods. You see, there's a lot of gods. Each have their own personality. Um, even the even the Titans. I think the Titans when they're introduced, it's very interesting. It brings a whole new fla- flavor to it because you're you used to seeing bright visual fluorescent colors, and then when the Titans come in, you get a lot more darker grays, reds, browns. Uh, blues, silvers. You're getting a lot, so it's a great. It's a great con- contrast. And each of them are also each of them. Yes, they're all angry and and everything, but they all kind of have their own idea. I mean, one's ice, one's mountain, one's lava. So they're they they're all in intentional have their own different feel, but they're very interesting as well. One thing I also really like about this is the love. That Hercules adopted parents show. Parents are a huge theme in Disney films, and a lot of Disney films, one of the parents is dead. One of the parents are dead, and it's a single parent raising a kid. Or when you look at things like Cinderella, it's uh, a step parent who aren't really the best. Whereas in this movie, the adopted parents are some of the best handled and written characters in this movie because yes it's not their child and they're an older group they're they're an older group um set of parents as well so it's not it's not like some middle 20 early 30 year olds i think it, it almost feels like they're in their in their 40s mid 40s to late 40s when they take care of um when they get Her- hercules so they're not the youngest parents out there but just how well they they support Hercules, how well they show Hercules love, how well they um, try and install um, good values into Hercules. I think is great. I think it's I think it's fantastic. And what this all also does is when you have those kids and people who don't have the traditional fa- fa- family, they might not be able to experience some of the emotion that a lot of Disney movies show because they don't have those type of parents. They they didn't grow up in that type of family so for a kid to go and watch this and see an adopted family taking care of a kid and showing love they may gain a connection to that that they may not get from some some of the other ones like aladdin where he has no parents um little mermaid has a dad but we don't know where the mom is beauty and the beast bell has a dad but we don't know where the but but the mom and four 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 fortunately died pocahontas dad dad is there so you have the family figures there, whereas this, it gives an, uh, adopted children a connection to a Disney film that, that that they may not have gotten in other ones. Now, there are other movies with great adopted parents. I'm just talking about this one as well. Also, one, one of the things that is fantastic about Disney films is their use of modern-day jokes. And I actually like, I actually really like those. Being a fan of, of Mel Brooks movies where he breaks the four fourth wall. He talks about current um, issues in a movie set in like eight, like sixteen hundreds. He uses jokes. Did Disney's able to do that a lot in this? Well, and the action f- figure jokes uh, when Hercules is uh, you know he's so popular now. How come he isn't a hero? Because he has his own action figure, he has his own sports drink, he has his own shoes. Um, the joke where the fates say indoor plumbing, it's going to be big. These are joke, joke jokes that are funny that both kids and adults can get. And one of the things about this movie is it's it's a little more kid friendly compared to 
like The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, it's a little more kid-friendly. Whereas in those, you'll have jokes and scenes that may go over kids' heads. In this one, a lot of the jokes um, won't go over kids' heads. They just may not find it as funny, where the adults may find it funny as well. So I don't think the jokes are as highbrow or as dark as some of the other ones. And I think that that lends to its overall lighter tone compared to some some of the, the other ones, which is why I like this, which is another reason why I like this movie, is because it's just a lighthearted, fun movie um and also the pegasus the relationship between hercules and pegasus is also a fantastic relationship of friendship they start off really young um they become best of friends they don't leave each other um and then all of a sudden pegasus you know they have to split up it's almost it's almost like when you're growing up with a really good 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 friend and either you or your friend have to move to another town um you know you break up that friendship but you see each other again years later because you're adults. You meet up again. Um, and now you become really good friend, 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 friends as well. So it's a really good friendship dynamic. And it's also a really good fr- friendship di- dynamic as well because there's a lot of choices that Hercules makes that Pegasus do- doesn't agree with. And he states that. He, he explains, I don't, like, I don't like your choice. This is a bad idea. Why, why, what are you doing? You're being dumb. And that's what a great friend is. A great friend is able to call you on your BS and tell you that, listen, you're being, you're being dumb right now. Stop it. Go fix it. And that's what a real friend does. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Meg because Meg is, is a very different um, female lead character compared to some of the other, compared to a lot of the other, the other ones. And I think she is one of the, the, the best the, the most well-written of all of them. I would say Meg and Mulan are some of the best female uh, leads in any of the any of the Dis- Disney movies. And one of the reasons why is because I think Meg deals with a lot more adult issues than some of the other ones. Uh, I mean, the, her her char- character arc is she she was in love. Her husband was or her boy boy boyfriend was gonna, gonna die. She sold her soul to Hades to save him, and then he runs off with another girl. That's a character arc that not a lot of kids are going to understand, but maybe their older sisters, their older brothers, their parents may get that a lot more. I mean, who hasn't felt like they've been in love, and then all, all of a sudden it's been torn, torn away? I think that's a something that everybody can feel no, no matter what. And because of that... It made Meg a very cynical, sassy, um, guarded, cold care character, and that's a character that I think a lot of adult people can focus on a lot, a lot, a lot more, and really connect with that character as well, because she's gone through things that we all face. And if you look, if, if you look at today's world of of uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all this, these one line comebacks these um sassiness is becoming huge i mean a lot of people out there identify by themselves as yeah i have an attitude so what deal with it and i think this is a character that is very similar to a lot of that which is why a lot of people i think will connect with meg a lot more than they would connect with some of the other princesses i think some of the other female leads people can connect with them more as a child i think meg 
will connect with these people a lot more as an adult because they, they, they'll see her and say, you know what? I talk like that. I talk like that, that too. And a lot of people go to the line where she's being, I guess, picked on or she's being attacked by the uh, centaur. And she says, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. Don't worry. I got this. And a lot of people look at that and say, yes, there's a damsel. She's in distress, but she doesn't need a man. She do- doesn't need help. Now, you need to look at that. At, at that scene. Now, a lot of people, again, go to that. That scene is that's the perfect scene to represent May. It kind of isn't because when you find out later on, the River Gar- Guardian and Meg are working together. So she was never in distress. She was she was supposed to act like she was in distress just to convince Her- Hercules to fight. So she wasn't in any real distress. So she was able to act so brazen, so brawn, because she wasn't really in any distress. So I don't like to look at that that scene that shows how strong she is. I like to look at two two scenes for Meg. One is when she finally stands up to Hades and says, he doesn't have a weakness, you can't beat him. Even though she knows that she's not in any immediate danger there, to stand up to a captor, somebody who has been telling you what to do uh, for a big part of your life, that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of um, chutzpah, I guess you could say. It takes a lot of, of uh, will from some, somebody to, to actually stand up to that type of person. Another scene is at the very near, near the very end when Hercules finally becomes a god and he's accepted into um, the castle with all the other gods. I can't remember what it's called and I hate that. Um, I can't believe I forgot what the name of the uh, place where the gods are from but um the f- fact that he gets accepted ex- ex- and then she's there and she kind of walks and she kind of walks away and i think that scene is what really shows the fact that she is able to um see that you know she did a good job helping hercules but unfortunately she kind of has this understanding like, yeah, you know what? I really wish that I could be with him, but he's got his own, he's got his own place. He, he doesn't belong with me. Um, unfortunately I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and she walks away and, 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 and she's Mount Olympus. That's what it is. Sorry. And, and she walks away. And I think that, I think that takes a lot of sadness and a lot of strength to walk away during that scene knowing that you know what the person that you love the person that saved you you saved her because let's face it she got put into that situation when she pushed hercules out of the way and she killed herself like meg killed herself to save hercules hercules was the damsel in distress and she came to save him that's a huge thing it's a huge role role reversal that you're starting to see a lot more now and the fact that she turned turned away and accept and kind of accepted, um, in some 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 respects, like, you know what, I love this guy, but it doesn't look like it's going to work. And she wa- wa- walks away, really earns that ending where he says, you know what, I want to give up being a god to stay with Meg. I think her journey 
has allowed Hercules to earn that ending to give to to give up, and I think it's a fantastic. I think it's an, I think it's a great ending, and I think Meg is a is a hugely strong care care character, but I think doesn't get talked about enough. Some interesting facts actually about this film is one of the reasons why, or one of the reasons why they thought that it had a bad um, box office was because one, it was too childish. They thought that it didn't that it more focused on kids uh, compared to some of the other ones that were able to grab teens and adults. They actually specifically said that like the Lion King and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast were great date movies where Hercules wasn't so much. So they thought that hurt. And they also thought that it was hurt by the box office of Men in Black and get this, Batman and Robin. That's right. They thought that Batman and Robin, the, in my opinion, second worst Batman movie, stalled this movie from gaining money. I don't, I, huh. Batman and Robin is a very di- different film compared to this. Actually, you know what? They're kind of not. They're both, they both take serious properties and kind of make jokes a little more lighter sense. So actually, you know what? It may, it may be a little more sen- sense, but still Batman and Robin hurt somebody. Well, it hurt a lot of us, but did Disney wasn't sure it would. Now the story was originally cr- crafted to be a was crafted to be kind of like a screwball comedy like the classic comedies um of like chaplin and and, and everything so they went back and they watched a ton of classic screwball comedies you don't hear the term screwball comedy anymore but a lot of those movies really inspired this and they also when they were creating the character of meg they were they created a lot of her off of barbara stanwick now, if you don't know who Barbara Stanwyck is, she is a prolific, classic actress. Um, all about Eve, I think it's all about Eve, uh, and Double in Double in in Demity are some of her her big roles. She's a huge classic actress that, if you talk about anybody who watches movies from from those times, you say 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 her name, they'll kind of light up with how much they love her perfor- her her acting. And Hercules was very much modeled after Jimmy Stewart from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, another classic actor who inspired this Disney role. And part of the story was also formed because of how the media and and everything was was looking at that time towards Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had his own shoe line. He had drinks. He had merchandising. It was crazy. So they thought, what if Hercules was kind of like that too. People started creating uh, Hercules figures and drinks and promote promotional material. And they saw how big it, it was for M- Michael Jordan in that era. And they brought it into the, this film as well. And the reason why they cha- changed the original film was because they thought that Zeus basically cheating on, 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 on his wife was a little too dark for Disney. And I kind of agree. I kind of agree, agree with that. I agree that it had to be changed because we need classic Disney films. Now, a lot, a lot of people will go back and say, well, you know what? They weren't the best uh, at depicting this type of race and this type of people and everything like that. And no, they weren't. They weren't at all. But when you're a kid, 
these are some of the movies that shape, shape, shape you. I know a lot of people now, nowadays who kind of have this idea of what romance is because of watching Disney films, because they thought, you know what, I grew up thinking that Disney films were real, that I was going to find my prince. And for a lot of people, they have. And some people, they haven't. Some of us are still looking for our princes or princesses. And um, a lot of people go back to these films and think of better times. They think of, you know, when I think of, when I think of going back, back, back and watching a Disney film, I think about going back to watching The Lion King when it first came out. Two week, actually two weeks before K, two weeks before K came out in major release. I was in Disney World in Orlando, and I got to see Lion King in theaters. And thinking back to that makes me think about my time at Disneyland or Disney World, going to Universal Studios, seeing the Eat T ride, Back to the Future, going on a trip with my family. Family. Some of some some of the things when we we were young, buying a stuffed Pumbaa doll, um, and it leads into other good memories as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why Disney movies are are so big, because they remind us of times in our life that were good, and sometimes remind and, and sometimes remind us of times that weren't bad that we may still need to reflect on, because a lot of our cho- choices in life are formed by the mistakes we make and the successes we have. So you need mistakes, you need bad times in your life to learn. And Meg is, again, is the perfect example of that. She had a bad time in her life. And people watching this may 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 think of a time in their life when they were cheated on and left by somebody else. And how, how that shaped them in this world. And one of the overarching themes of Disney is, you know, just let's let's just be nice to people. Let's be kind, no matter who they are, no matter what world they're, no matter what world they're they're from. Whether it's a different world, whether it's the underworld, whether it's the un- underwater, whether it's from another play, place in this world. Let's just all be nice. Let's all get along and and let's have fun. And I think that's one of the reasons why classic D- Disney films work so well. Um, at least classics for me. So that was my discussion. A little bit longer today, which was uh, I, I was hoping would happen because I really like I really like Hercules, and I want a lot of pe- people to see more of it. Um, and that is my take on the 1997 Hercules. And I will see you at the next screen. <laughs>